Welcome to episode 127 of Look At My Records. This episode features an interview with folk songwriter Evan Alexander Moore. He just released a great new album called The Perennial Millennial. It's a loose concept album that tackles and addresses a lot of the common issues that the millennial generation faces political issues, social issues, and personal issues with love, growing up, technology, and a whole host of others. This record really is reminiscent of classic folk singers, protest songwriters like Bob Dylan, Pete Seeger, and Woody Guthrie. We talked all about the classic folk influence on the record and how Evan takes that and applies it to modern day society. It's a really great record, and I had a lot of fun talking to Evan all about the process behind writing and recording it and the role he thinks musicians play in modern political discourse through writing protest songs. We're going to start the show off with a choice cut from the perennial millennial it's called the price of cereal and then we'll jump right into my interview which was conducted via zoom with evan alexander moore i was uh, reading the news scrolling through the feed reading stories of people coming into hard times needing money debt medical bills gofundmes and the like so i put all their stories to this song right here. Staring at a half-empty cup, wondering if he's got enough. But the suits on TV say change is slow. He's living in survival mode in his foreclosed home. Son's gonna die cause of the company And the insulin just ain't coming in And the media won't cover it They covered it last weekend Self a job, but 20 years have all gone by. She slaves away her debts, wringing her dry. She's gonna miss rent, she's untangling debt. The mother of four living check to check, and the cold's killing homeless in Chicago. No oligarchs care, no, they don't care enough to know.
Staring at his jacket seams Saying, God, oh please Am I gonna die? Am I gonna die? Am I gonna die? Am I gonna die? We just heard The Price of Cereal off of Evan Alexander Moore's The Perennial Millennial, and I'm here with Evan now. How have you been holding up with COVID situation and everything like that? Um, I've been trying to, you know, just keep myself busy and, you know, with the internet and with, you know, all the books out there, there there's plenty to kind of uh, occupy your time with. Um, so I've just been reading as much as I can and, uh, and you know, staying sane, trying to eat good and trying to exercise, but I, I don't because, um, I don't know, it, it's just like a little, uh, a little uh, switch in my brain that just doesn't want to work, you know? Um, it's, it's very challenging to exercise right now. I've had the same yeah. struggle. You're not alone there. And Perennial Millennial is a new album that you just released. Yes. I love it. It's a collection of folk slash protest songs about the millennial experience. But before Mm -hmm. we get into it, I was mentioning to you before that Mm -hmm. I really love the record and the message that it conveys. But tell me a little bit about how you wound up in New York. You're originally from Denton, Texas area. Well, yeah, so uh, I'm born and raised Houston. 
Um, okay. And then for for college, I went to Denton, Texas. It's a small little um, small little city, kind of a little bit north of Dallas. Um, very jazz oriented music scene there, yeah. uh, with little pockets of folk, but uh, UNT, you know, churned out Snarky Puppy and Nora Jones, so they're big on yeah. jazz there. Um, so it's very weird. You go to you go into a house show in Denton, and you're not sure if you're gonna see like an emo punk band or if you're gonna see like a bebop jazz group or something. It's very uh, it's very eclectic over there. Um, but yeah, so I so I graduated uh, and I you know kind of had this path forward in life and I didn't know what I wanted to do um, and I knew well I'm just starting to write music and I'm feeling very good about it. Um, where what who's my biggest idol? What did what did he do? Uh, and Bob Dylan went to New York and I was like, well, it worked out for him. I'll I'll give it a shot. Um, and it just so turned out that I could also, uh, study as a mental health counselor while in New York. But one of the primary reasons I went to New York was because of the music scene, the singer songwriter scene specifically. Um, and ever since then, I've just been soaking in all the different, uh, characters and people from, from New York and, you know, making some great friends and, uh, making incredible music together. So. That's kind of how I ended up in New York. Cool. And could definitely hear the Bob Dylan influence and admiration in your music. Uh, definitely looking to dive into that a little later in the interview. But first, Perennial Millennial, when I was Googling it, it seems that it the phrase originated as kind of a marketing concept to describe millennials. I'm curious about how you came up with the name and the concept overall, if it was something you maybe wrote a song or two about and then decided to expand it into more than what it originally became. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Um, I didn't know about that. Uh, can you tell me more about uh, it being used as a market term? So it, it's, it's interesting because when I Googled it, is defined as a generational persona that's kind of accumulation of previous generations, their characteristics, kind of agnostic, but committed to seeking out societal solutions and not so willing to follow the path set out by prior generations, kind of picking and choosing what works and what doesn't work and then using that to their advantage and that they're kind of ever-changing sort of thing, kind of like a perennial, I guess, is reborn mm. every year. When I think of perennial, mm. I think of the types of plants and stuff. So it was kind mm. of a term to use to target, I guess, or describe that age, or our age group, because I'm a millennial. That's that's fascinating. Maybe maybe subconsciously, I didn't mean to do this, but maybe there's something in there about taking what was a market term and flipping it to mean something different. Um, that obviously isn't how it happened. I think I think more. I was just like wanting to write a song about. Uh, th this is gonna sound super lame, but I bet you half the songs that we listen to start from a very simple idea, which is literally, I wanted to write a song about millennials and I was like, what rhymes with millennial? And the one I liked was 
perennial. And I was like, okay, let me look it up. And it was, you know, flowers. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah. Those are those are pretty. Perennials tend to uh, live much longer uh, than other others. And like you said, they're ever changing. Um, <clears throat> so I was like, oh my god, that's that's perfect. Um, and then. I, I I was basically stuck with that idea for almost like I kept coming back to it month after month after month. Uh, and then I just started writing a collection of songs that kind of had to do with myself as a millennial, as well as just trying to broaden um, broaden the experience across uh, across an age, an age generation. Um, so that that's kind of how it that's kind of how it started uh, was you know, just coming up with the rhyme and then wanting to explore that concept to its fullest, uh, fullest extent. Yeah, and what I really like is there is an overarching folk music style to the record, but I think you really dive into a lot of different ways that you write your lyrics. When I heard the first song, Millennial, I thought, oh, you have a very matter-of-fact way of writing, almost like a beat poet, because it's very straightforward, stream of conscious. But then the other songs aren't really written in that lyrical style. Uh, mm -hmm. wh what were you going for uh, with that, and what types of lyrical styles were you exploring? Types of lyrical styles. Um, obviously, you you nailed it right on the head. Uh, beat poets. Uh, Allen Ginsberg uh, was a big inspiration on that first one. Um, Honestly, a lot of it is some songs are very kind of describing emotional uh, emotional experiences going on within myself. Um, that's definitely um, that track, uh, the song Grand Little Symphony, uh, which explores kind of uh, my own internal feelings toward uh, art and especially the, the, the last song. Um, which definitely explores emotions, but albeit in a more sarcastic, yeah. uh, a sarcastic tone. Um, uh, well, not sarcastic, more sarcastic, uh, but also kind of genuine um, and and real. Uh, others were very stream of consciousness. Um, others wanted. Others, I kind of went in with uh, with a concept for the song. Um, and tried to build around off of it, uh, you know, taking notes from obviously traditional folk music where you typically have a story and it ends with one single one single line. Um, that single line uh, eventually turning into the chorus uh, in most 60s folk pop songs. Um, but taking that general style of like having a story and then ending with one with one simple line. That was a big uh, kind of blueprint for a lot of the songs. Um, and that that's kind of how I wanted to explore lyrics. Lyrically, again, it was all based on, uh, you know, myself or the, or the millennial experience. Um, just wanting to uh, just, at the end of the day, just write good songs, but have them be specifically about uh, what it's like to, to be a millennial. Um, but uh, to, to round out and answer your question directly, um, beat poets and the traditional folk uh, folk archetype were the two main kind of uh, uh, pushing factors. And the songs are topical. Some are specifically topical. 
I think of Church Lawns, which really talks about religion and hope. And then there's songs like the love-centric song, Prove My Love. I'm curious, a lot of them have overarching themes for the millennial experience, but how many things that you sing about that you have personally experienced as a millennial? That I personally experienced as a millennial? Um, all, definitely the feeling of uh, being cheated by educational institutions. Um, I feel like every millennial um, who, you know, was, was indoctrinated to go to college um, definitely experiences that where they, you know, they went to college they had a great time and then they come out and they're like oh shit i'm not prepared for the for the world right now uh and i'm stuck in debt how the hell am i gonna get get through this um i definitely experienced that a, a lot of the love centric songs uh come from personal experience um church lawns is interesting because it explores like religion um but it's also very specifically about a relationship I was in where uh, there was a kind of disconnect on on religion. Um, so a lot of those lyrics have to do with like my moral compass versus a Christian's moral compass yeah. and how both of those get uh, get kind of messed up by the other person. Um, and yeah, m most everything on on the album i either experienced or i've seen other people go through um i i think of backbone of america or price of cereal those are two songs where uh i didn't experience uh much of that personally save for maybe um you know just being in student debt and then um you know feeling like uh feeling like i'm 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 barely above water um in the Hudson River, um, so yeah, yeah, basically, basically that. I'm curious because you could characterize a lot of these as like protest songs, like I said, topical songs. It's not seen a lot in musicians over the last four years writing songs that are kind of critiquing politics and things like that. I'm curious what you feel like the role of a modern musician like yourself is in critiquing the ills of society and taking a stand writing things like protest songs. Mm, that's a tough question. What, what do you think is the answer to that? I, I would love to see more of what you're doing basically. Mm, I think it's okay, good okay. and really relevant, but I specifically thought, and I think a lot of people thought uh, maybe with the election of Donald Trump, people would be more political in their music, but it doesn't seem to be happening as much. And I'm wondering what you think of that and what you see the role of a musician like yourself is in modern day society. And would you like to see more songwriters like yourself that really write a topical record that speaks to uh, the experience of a millennial living in society where there's clearly a lot going on that's wrong with society that maybe musicians aren't as directly addressing in their music? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. See, I'm definitely in, in the camp where I agree. I would love to have, you know, more writers like me. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's, uh, it's a necessity. 
Um, I, I remember too, when Donald Trump was elected, I saw so many uh, people's takes about like, oh dude, this is gonna, this is gonna make punk music <laughs> Yeah, great. exactly, yeah. Uh, that, didn't, that didn't happen. Yeah, uh, no, it I, didn't. I was li just listening to one of my favorite uh, kind of pop punk uh, uh, writers, uh, Jeff Rosenstock, you know yes. him? Yes, mm -hmm. He's wonderful and he makes very political uh, kind of pop punk music and it's great um but he's really like the only like punk musician i see out there who's actually you know taking a stab at it uh, it'd be great if other writers and and folk and this and that were doing it but i don't think uh it's a necessity i also think uh one thing that you're seeing a lot are people doing very tying in politics into a song rather rather than it be about politics you know what i mean mm -hmm. like i feel like there's so many little uh you know songs out there protest songs that are about one thing and then they tie in politics later uh the first example i think of is um uh one of my favorite political writers uh kendrick lamar and his song uh uh, his album, the the whole album of Damn isn't very overtly political like To Pimp a Butterfly is. Uh, but uh, I think of the song Lust, where he talks a lot about um, people lusting over certain things and being in a routine. Um, and then right at the end, he starts mentioning, he ties in the political angle of like, we all protested the streets uh, when Donald Trump uh, was elected, and then the very next day we all went back to our routines. Yeah, uh, and and I think that's the perfect example. But it also makes a huge fucking statement too, um, which is which is amazing. So I think it's a double-edged sword. I think you get some people who uh, who very subtly put it into their song, um, you know, make the song about hope and change or you know, just talk about how awful life is and then they tie in political pieces. Uh, but there are a couple, you know, writers out there who are doing political music. It might just not be the the punk or the uh, folk scene right now. Um, I'm thinking of people like uh, Run the Jewels, JPEG Mafia. Um, oh, I just had his name. Uh, Kwale Chris, uh, Kendrick Lamar, obviously. Uh, Joey Badass as well. All those kind of uh, writers are, are uh, you know, hip-hop artists. Uh, yeah. They're doing the political the political angle and the political move. I don't, I, I would, it'd be great if rock and singer-songwriters could do it more. Um, but it's just, I don't know. I, I don't know why people aren't doing it. Maybe it's because uh, it's not seen as very punk to be, you know, strumming on a, on a, a folk guitar. Um, maybe that's it. I'm not, I'm not too sure. It's an interesting take. And it's something that I continue to think about too. But you mentioned a lot of hip hop artists. So are you really a big listener and consumer of hip hop music? And how has it influenced your music? Oh, yes, definitely. Definitely. I'm, I, my hot take is that folk music and hip hop are very, 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 yeah. very similar. Um, even so far down to the tradition in folk music where you take a uh, chord progression and melody and then you just twist it into your own uh literally half of the songs off of freewheel and bob dylan 
were uh, Dylan taking an old Celtic tune and then rewriting yeah. over it. Um, same thing you get with uh, a lot of hip hop artists where they find something that they really like and then they chop it up and then turn it into a beat. Um, and all of the lyrics are, you know, um, hip hop writing is very much about uh, taking things that have happened in the past or creating references and having like counter references and building up on uh, certain themes through the use of uh, references, callbacks, um, uh, allusions, shit like that. Um, yeah, hip hop is is huge. I don't I don't trust any singer songwriter out there who isn't uh, who doesn't have their ear to the ground on the biggest cultural force right now. Totally. Um, Otherwise, I just I don't know. I just think you're you're kind of a kind of a hack. Uh, I could probably say even worse things about him, but I'm I'm going to be fair and say, <laughs> and say that they're they're just a hack who think like oh well folk music and uh, rock music are the pure forms. I don't I don't I don't believe that. Yeah, I agree with you totally. And I think my favorite song on the record, the perennial millennial, is Hey Mr. Zimmerman, which I think is safe to assume is a song you wrote to Bob Dylan. Uh, closely mirrored to the song that he wrote for Woody Guthrie on his first mm -hmm. album. Good ear. And Good ear. Um, so I just wanted to ask, how has Bob Dylan inspired you as a songwriter, and and what does his music mean to you? He was the first songwriter who I heard and went, um, not even like heard and made me go, oh, I can do that because that gives kind of the 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 air of like. Oh, it's so simple what he's yeah. doing. I can do that. It was more like a, almost like an opposite thing where I was like, oh my God, this is incredible and I want to do it. It's very hard to do, but I want to do it. Um, kind of like if you're a soccer player and you see Pele do like a, like <laughs> a, a, a um, backflip kick, you go like, oh my fucking God, that must be difficult. I want to, I want to do that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, he, he really was the person that made me think like, oh, I have something here that I can work on and I want to work on it. Uh, I, I tried writing songs uh, way back, way back when I was in a garage band uh, in high school. I tried writing lyrics. It was not good. Um, I started playing the guitar a little bit all throughout college and um, I tried writing, but I mostly was just like hitting dead ends. Um, and I had heard a couple Bob Dylan songs, um, but then I started really getting into his work and that's when I kind of realized, I, I guess I found the key, uh, in, in a, in a sense, um, the, 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 the way forward. Uh, I just think he has a very enigmatic, uh, I heard someone say elliptical approach to songwriting that I really resonate with. And, um, I, I just want to, I just want to carry that, that torch. Honestly, he's he's one of the biggest influences uh, on me. Almost every single part of his career, whether he's doing the, the politics stuff or he's, uh, you know, bucking that or when he's being a sad boy on Blood on the Tracks. Um, all of that, all of that stuff is incredibly influential to, to me. And I don't think I would actually be doing this interview if I didn't um really pay attention and listen to bob Dylan. yeah i love that song 
because the Woody Guthrie song that he wrote, I really view as Woody Guthrie, him kind of taking the baton from Woody Guthrie. So I think it's like a cool concept that you kind of incorporated that as taking the baton from Bob Dylan and continuing to do the work mm -hmm. of a folk songwriter that's, like that. That's what I'm trying. That's what I'm trying. And what do you hope people take away from the perennial <clears throat> millennial when they listen to it? When they listen to it, I hope, you know, people go into it with uh, with an open ear. Um, and I hope uh, I hope it inspires inspires people. I don't really have a I, I don't really have anything that I want anyone to take away from it necessarily. I think I want people to uh, enjoy it. <laughs> I'd like people for, for people to listen to it and like it and then want to come back to it again and again. Um, but whatever they get out of it, if they totally get something way different out of it than what I intend, you know, that that's perfectly, that's perfectly fine with me. Um, I just want people to kind of listen and uh, enjoy it and then I hope it inspires other people to to write similar music honestly awesome so let's play some songs from the record right now we're gonna hear hey mr. Zimmerman perennial part two church lawns and prove your love and then we'll be back one, two, three, one. Mr. Zimmerman, I hope this sees you well. How's that tour going? You avoiding the bombshells? Walking down roads you once called home, but they're worn and renovated and just out of control. Remember when I first saw the skyscrapers run across that cab window in that tangled blue sun, and I saw the world that you tore up and down. That's when I knew I'd head out of my hometown. Hey, Mr. Zimmerman, I've been looking for you. For the smoke dust, the rail rust that's inspired your truth. Hey, Mr. Zimmerman, I wrote you a song. Just like the one you wrote so long. Here for Joe, Pete, Dave, and Phil Lowe's. All those ragged folk singers helping the tired and poor. Do you ever think what he would have been proud? That's what I think of when I'm looking up at you now. Mr. Zimmerman is a twisted fantasy. Waking up disrupted, firing squads on TV. See a friend's tombstone, corruption invests. The hard rains come back to cause all this unrest. Hey, Mrs. Zimmerman, it feels like the world might end. Replaced by a new one, it's coming round the bend.
torn up streets, the flooded towns. If you think this is the beginning of the end, you haven't looked around. All the hate you saw her die, I'll tell you now it's real alive. A last breath to snuff out the revolution. Yeah, he says big words, he must be so well-spoken He won't say nothing that could frighten The CEOs he's beholden We're starved to death, phones are screaming Crying mothers, cities weeping Your well-spoken candidate never spoke well of revolution No, we're miles and miles and miles country avocado toast a five dollar cup of coffee turn on the tv scroll through the feed another shooting another spectacle to add to the list of tragedies With your Bible bound in black Flaunting that bronze enameled plaque Showing fiercely the care The care that you lack You intercepting the hand-blown kiss Taking it to mean that you are dearly missed No one's safe from that ignorant That ignorant bliss
that studded jacket made of thorns. You threw out all your metal CDs, all your Dick Kennedy CDs, and all your porn. Oh, but you and I, we were making love till the early morn. Yes, we were. Yes, we were. Sundown 
I don't know what you found Broad stands and tall I'm supposed to take you home And prove my love Prove my love Your heart is silken yard Sewn into your sleeve Shoulder blade in the Tuscan sun Asking for reprieve You're far enough away They're pulling on my teeth You're asking for a little bit more But baby I don't know that means Is it the moonlight spinning Is it the pace you move I'm supposed to take you home And prove my love And prove my love I feel your finger on my back is running Infinity It's not over when you're old It's not over with the truth It's not something you got to prove So we're back. We heard Hey Mr. Zimmerman, Perennial Part 2, Church Lawns, and Prove My Love off of Evan Alexander Moore, my guest. His new album, The Perennial Millennial. It's great. It's available on all streaming services. Also on Bandcamp, anywhere else people can get that. Yeah, uh, uh, SoundCloud. You can you can hear it on SoundCloud. Um you, you basically got it, all streaming platforms, Bandcamp, SoundCloud. And your Bandcamp address is Evan evanalexandermore.bandcamp.com. Not taken. Not taken. It's Not a great. Taken. You're actually the second Evan Moore I've had on this show. I have a really? friend. <laughs> I have a friend here in, uh, I live in Jersey City. He, he plays music, but he also designs like t-shirts and stuff he's like a oh. graphic designer so he's a good guy Le- legit i kind of want to i kind of want to work on a t-shirt with him now. i will send you his info <laughs> right after this evan moore and evan moore i think i think you guys would get along really well but we're moving to the second part of the program where you pick some records from my record collection we're going to play them and talk about them and mm-hmm. you're surprising me so tell me, record number one, what did you pick? Record number one, I chose uh, Bob Dylan's first ever self-titled, and I picked 
I song to Woody. So I guess to preface, all of the songs I picked were either indirectly or directly influencing the songs on uh, Perennial Millennial. Um, first place to start with would be Bob Dylan. Uh, his song, uh, Song to Woody. Um, that was a huge influence, especially on the song that y'all just heard, uh, Hey Mr. Zimmerman. Um, literally, I, I, I pulled parts of the guitar, uh, the guitar embellishments on the original track. Um, it's thematically very, very similar. Um, save for mine having a lot of uh, references to Bob Dylan songs. Um, yeah, it's just like the first, the first Bob Dylan song where he actually like hit something, and he you can almost like hear it in his voice when he's singing it compared to all the other covers on the album, where you can tell he's like, oh I oh I got something, I got something. That's such a spot on take because when I hear this song, it really does hit me in the heart. There's many Bob Dylan songs that really hit you hard. I think Masters of War is one that really like is just such a gut punch every time I hear it. But this is another one. He's really getting personal and it's very emotional, you know, his respect and admiration of Woody Guthrie. Woody Guthrie is such a, not just a musical and folk music institution, but an American institution. He's so important to the fabric of our country and the music mm -hmm. history. So it's such a great tribute to, to mm -hmm. him. It's a it's a wonderful tribute. And I, I just love how, um, like you said, he's very personal with it. It's almost like he's singing. It's almost like he recorded it in the hospital when he would go visit Woody Guthrie. Yes. It, it literally feels like that intimate. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 incredible. It's it's super hushed. It's very uh, man. It, it it has this like cloudy, airy, airy quality to it, um, but very firmly rooted in in the folk music. And like I said earlier, you can just tell he he stumbled on something, and that's. And that's kind of the song I see as like the one that he carried on with him throughout um, throughout the 60s and throughout freewheeling and times they are changing and whatnot. Totally. And your second record that you picked is? Second record, this, is, this one's a, a weird one, uh, but we were listening to this band, especially their album SF Sorrow. Uh, the Pretty Things EP, the song Rosalind. Great song. It's a great, it's a it's a wonderful song. It's very kind of just like, um, it's just it's just real energetic. Uh, and we were listening a lot to uh, their 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 album that they would do literally a couple days after the Beatles recorded, um, I believe, the White Album. Uh, the Beatles were literally like, "All right, we finished the White Album," and they left, and then the Pretty Things went into uh, uh, Abbey Road and they recorded SF Sorrow and there's a lot of like little studio tricks that we were very inspired by me and the producer Lucas Carpenter um, we pulled a lot from that and uh, uh, a lot of ideas especially there's this one effect I believe on uh, I wish I could remember the song but it has this almost like like the the record skips and then it builds up and and like there's a big bass hit and then they go into the next section 
Um, we definitely pulled on that for the last track on the on the album, um, If I Got You. Uh, but yeah, so so we listened to a lot of the pretty things and just listened a lot of, to a lot of like this era of music where uh, bands were just experimenting and just doing weird shit with their vocals, with their drums, with their everything. Um, and we tried to pull from that just to give uh, this kind of very traditional folk album a little bit of, uh, of color and um, uh, movement to it. So, yeah, the pretty things are very, very, very underrated, in my opinion. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because in the album, Perennial Millennial, you can hear there's a much thicker, dense sound on a lot of the songs than you would hear on a traditional, straightforward folk record. You know, it's much more than just you and your your guitar. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the songs have... Uh, I think there's literally only one song that has just me and guitar. Yeah. Uh, prove, prove My Love. Uh, but even that one is, like, drenched in all these, like, weird tape effects that we added. Um, another another fun, fun thing to kind of explore was half of the songs, or, or I want to say most, were actually recorded to tape, uh, and then we we transferred it over, and then that's when we started the digital. So they're like a hybrid of analog and digital yeah. at the same time, uh, which it w- was very fun uh, to kind of do, because you can kind of do, you, you don't necessarily get to do a lot of new things, but you get to actually feel like, um, you know, you're not just cheating. You know what I mean? Like you're getting all these weird tape effects because you're doing something really fucking crazy with the actual tape machine and you're manipulating it. Um, the song Mary Magdalene actually had uh, has two guitar parts going through it. Uh, one was recorded normally. Uh, and then once we recorded that, we sped up the ta- ever, tape ever so slightly. So that way we could get two guitar tracks and they're both um, essentially playing different frequencies, but at the same time, and it gives the, this weird wonky, but full feeling. Um, stuff like that is just like one tiny example of all the weird kind of analog uh, trickery, trickery we did with the album. Very cool. And up next, what do we got? Up next, we got uh, one of my, one of the most underrated uh, female singers uh, back then, uh, I'll keep it with mine. A cover of Bob Dylan by Nico. Very uh, cool. What a beautiful voice Nico has. One of my favorite yeah. singers of all time. Mm-hmm. It's very haunting, very, very. Uh, uh, bellowing. I don't know how to describe it, but it's incredible. Uh, this one we pulled on for for the guitar effects um, because we were very into this style of uh, putting these songs together. Uh, Wild horses by the Rolling Stones off the album Sticky Fingers. Oh, my karaoke song of choice. Really? <laughs> I, really? Love to, I love to belt it out in a room full of people and then get <laughs> them to sing along. Can you give us a taste? Wild horses. <laughs> there you go. You have to come really see incredible. me. At, it's funny, I actually, the last time I sang this at karaoke, there's that place in the East Village. It's right by 14th Street. The name of it is escaping me right now. I but think I know what you're talking about. Rose but, McGowan yeah. was there. And I wasn't sure that it was Rose McGowan 
until after I sang Wild Horses, she got called up, like maybe the song after or two songs after. And they said, Rose singing Don't Speak by No Doubt. And I'm like, hey, guys, that's Rose McGowan. And they said, yeah, we we know. We've been talking about that for like the last hour. Where have you been? So that's my Wild Horses karaoke song story. You were getting mentally prepared to sing Wild Horses. That's yeah, what was happening. It's true. Uh, so, so tell me a lot of studio trick related stuff that you were inspired with by that song. We were mainly inspired by uh, what, what, what the Stones did on that song is they basically have two guitars going, one ha one is strung regularly, the other is strung Nashville, which is basically, you get a pack of a 12-string guitar and you take out the uh, thinner strings, the, the, the higher strings, and you just string a normal guitar so that way you only have the high strings from a 12-string guitar. Um, and it has this wonderful, beautiful sound and you can hear it all over the record. Um, I wanna say half of the songs kind of kind of use that use that element in them where you have uh you know like when you play a a 12 string guitar you're strumming it all together when you separate it out though you get this really kind of uh a psychedelic effect to it um but it's also very natural i think of i don't know why but i just think uh it sounds very spidery very webby very i, I don't i don't know it just it just is a cool sound and you can hear it all over wild horses and we love that song uh and we uh were very inspired by how they got that sound with the guitar um and we just we just tried to put it on as many songs as uh, as we could um so yeah I, I just i just love the guitars on that on that song yeah um, great guitars and i didn't know that about the nashville stringing of the guitar on that song so thank you for educating me on that well, of course of course I'm trying to think there are some other songs we were listening to uh that kind of had that quality um i think the beatles definitely did it on a couple songs um but yeah i think we were mostly pulling from uh wild horses on that Sick. one and last but not least Last but not least, uh, I was just listening to this record all the time uh, during the making of the album because it kind of came out, I want to say, uh, halfway through recording. And uh, there's definitely a big influence as far as the sound goes. Uh, Wise Blood, Every Day. I love, love this song. It's a great song. It's a great and song. It's an amazing album, too. She is super, it super talented. She's super talented. I'm so excited. The, the the funny thing is, I don't even think Titanic Rising is is her best yet. I I, I have a feeling that like she's gonna top it. Um, but it is an incredible record. And every day to me, I just love kind of like the piano sounds. Um, and I and I love how kind of decadent and uh, and wild it is. I don't think my record ever gets to that kind of. Uh, level, uh, but I was very inspired by kind of the winding, uh, the winding uh, structure of the song, um, just how how drenched and colorful it is, and the songs where I knew we could get a little bit louder and get more than just uh, like a couple guitars. I wanted to have that feeling. Um, plus, I love the strings 
on on that song and that was a big uh, point of reference for the song Grand Little Symphony uh, where it, it's mostly these uh, plucky guitars with the Wild Horses uh, Nashville tuning on them um, but uh, uh, during uh, after the chorus you get this little like string interlude that carries you into the next verse and um, I, I just love the strings on on every day uh, and most of that most of the wise blood record awesome all right we're gonna hear these records now we got Bob Dylan the pretty things Nico Rolling Stone wise blood we'll be back I'm out here a thousand miles from my home Walking a road other men have gone down I'm seeing your world of people and things Here paupers and peasants and princes and kings Hey, hey, Woody Guthrie, I wrote you a song About a funny old world that's a-coming along Seems sick and it's hungry, it's tired and it's torn It looks like it's a-dying and it's hardly been born Hey, Woody Guthrie, but I know that you know All the things that I'm a-saying and a many times more I'm a-singing you this song, but I can't sing enough Cause there's not many men who've done the things that you've done Here's to Cisco and Sonny and Lead Belly too And to all the good people that traveled with you Here's to the hearts and the hands of the men That come with the dust and are gone with the wind I'm leaving tomorrow, but I could leave today. Somewhere down the road someday. The very last thing that I'd want to do is to say I've been hitting some hard traveling too.
All right, we're back. We heard Bob Dylan, The Pretty Things, Nico, Rolling Stones, Wise Blood, Evan's Picks. Evan, so great to have you on here today. Everyone, Evan Alexander Moore, he just released his brand new album, The Perennial Millennial. It's great. Listen to it on your streaming platform of choice. You could also get it on Bandcamp, evanalexandermore.bandcamp.com. Evan, it's been a lot of fun. Tell me, what do you have planned for the rest of the year? I know things are very uncertain. The world is a really weird place right now for multiple reasons. But what's what's next for you? What's next for me? Um, just try to try to make make it through this in in one piece. Music musically, I I like to I, I try to keep. My, my card's close to hand, but I'm working on new stuff and hopefully I'll, I'll have something, I will definitely have something uh, ready later this year. Um, and then I'm just gonna take this time that we all have um, to just work on music at home and practice uh, practice making music on a, on a laptop rather than going to a studio. So that's my plan. Let's play one more song from the perennial millennial to close out the program. I was thinking Grand Little Symphony since you mentioned it and since we talked about the the Nashville stringing of the guitar, Nashville tuning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, sure, let's do it. All right, everyone, we're closing the show with Grand Little Symphony from Evan Alexander Moore's brand new album of folk songs, protest songs. It's excellent, go get it. It's called The Perennial Millennial. Thank you, Evan. Oh, thank you, Tom. Thank you. Throw it in the trash. It's like all your idols took a shit on your work. Well, alright, too much, no, alright. Too little, either way, I'm still songwriting whore And I searched every filing cabinet in my mind Just to find something pure Well, goddammit, after all of this torture For every sure song that I write, I'm still so unsure The woman with that glitter strong instrument She said, baby, don't get tricked The man on the high mountain with a joint in his hand Asked me to explain, so I said this I know that's a strange little melody But I sing like I broke my jaw That's an odd little simile But lately I'm trying so hard I saw a man play a grand little symphony And all he had was a guitar Painting on stage his newest masterpiece So I left with the door ajar I left it ajar not on the road, it's not in the woods. Every folk trope has been explored. Oh, I'm running and I'm running 
and I'm running, but there ain't no shelter from the storm. I get drunk, I try to write, but when I write, no, I can't write a letter. And I have not touched a pencil in days, cause the posters on my wall did better, no. Dearest Evangeline, she held me in that corner store, she said, what's the matter, my dear? Well, I said, oh, all is fine out here in the eastern cities as I grab another 12-pack of beer. Then God spoke to me, at least that's who he said he was, interrupting the inner calm. He said, my son, tell me about that song you wrote. When I showed him, he didn't respond. But I sing like I broke my jaw I know that's an odd little simile But lately I've been trying so hard I saw the man play a grand little symphony And all he had was a guitar Painting on stage his newest masterpiece So I left with the door ajar I remember in a first grade, uh, going up to my art teacher, I believe her name was uh, Miss Lehman, and so I uh, showed her a painting that I made for class, and it was of a village built into the mountains. And so, uh, you know, I'm not really good at recognizing emotion, but um, I could tell that she must have been impressed, uh, because she took that little pastel masterpiece and put it into a painting contest. I got a ribbon on it. Ever since then, no, I haven't painted much. I knew it'd never feel the same. Every dream shot out of the sky, cause I know it's just gonna decay. Now I'm older, I become a folder for unwritten checks, an unfinished project. Picked up a guitar in one hope that I'd finally finish something yet. I know it's a strange little melody, but I sing like I broke my jaw. I know that's an odd little simile, but lately I've been trying so hard. I saw the man. Play a grand little symphony And all he had was a guitar Painting on stage his newest masterpiece So I left with the door ajar Tried to call a car But home for me was much too far As the rain breaks down the reservoir And I stumble back into that shanty bar Watch the stage fill up with superstars And I try to stop And life is bizarre